guys. Uh, my name is Vince, and I'm one of the pastors at the church. And uh, this morning, I am thankful for our family of churches. Um, we, we belong to a family of churches called Sovereign Grace Churches. And this past week, I was able, by God's grace, to sit in on our, our Council of Elders meeting, where we are kind of making decisions for our whole denomination and, and things that are going to be happening over the next year. It was a seven-hour call. Uh, it, was, it was tough, but one of the highlights of that call is we ratified our statement of faith. And I was reminded of that statement of faith this morning when we sang the words, Now and ever we confess Christ our Lord in life and death, Christ our hope in life and death. And this statement of faith is really going to function very much like a confession. And, and it is shot through with Jesus, our hope in Jesus, and, and our, our future in Jesus, and what Jesus has done. And so that's what I'm thankful for this morning. And uh, I'm thankful now that we are going to open God's Word together. Uh, so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, we are continuing our walk through the gospel of Mark and seeing Jesus' movement as he um, just takes one more step closer to Golgotha where he, would, where he would go to the cross for our sins. So we're going to begin reading in verse 21. This is God's word. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. He went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you, you see the crowd pressing about you. And yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. They said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? 
But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in, there, went in where the child was, taking her by the hand. He said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately she got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know about this. Told them to give her something to eat. This is God's holy word. Given that we might know who he is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we ask you now to open our eyes that we might see Jesus. That we might see the truth you are trying to teach us through this passage. And that we would be changed by that truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week, uh, our surround sound system stopped working. Now, in 2020, uh, that is definitely a first world problem. Because everyone has a built-in backup to their surround system, right? It's called the, the, TV, the speakers on your TV. Like, there is a built-in backup, Vince. But when you've become accustomed to having, like, the earth-shattering base of the subwoofer, the little speakers in the TV, they're just a little anemic, you know? Like, why listen to TV like this? When you can listen to it like this. See, it's much richer. Maybe I should pre- No. And every now and then this thing, you know, like anything that is run by a computer processor, it just needs, to, needs a power cycle. It needs to be reset. And so you, you go and you unplug it and wait 15, 20 seconds and you plug it in and, hey, it's working again. Woohoo! Well, when Christy said, hey, it's not working, I said, well, did you try to power cycle it? She's like, yes, tech support. That's why I'm talking to you. And I was like, oh, just like the call. Well, it worked, so, so, you know, I went up there, did, did my little thing, checked all the connections, and power cycle, it worked for about a day, and then nothing, and I was like, man, what's going on here? So, Friday night, we went out, you know, pandemic date night, what do you do for a date night in pandemic? You wander around Target, and as you're wandering around Target, because nowhere else is open, you, I was looking at, at surround systems because it's like, man, that one's gone. It's dead. Like, we're going to have to replace it. And you need to watch TV like this. <laughs> so it's like, all right, what, like, what's there? And then yesterday, I start tinkering with things and messing with it. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe, maybe it's the cord. Maybe it's the, the optical cable. I have an extra one in there. So went and got it. And then it worked. 
And it was like, yes, all right, it works. That means I don't get a new one, but I don't need a new one. So it's all good. You see, I thought it needed replacing, but it really just needed a new signal. Now, the cable couldn't give this thing new life, but the new signal, in a sense, gave it a new life because it was on its way out. I was replacing that joker. And in our passage today, we'll see that Jesus gives his people new life. See, he doesn't just come and, and swap the cables around and, and swap out a, a different cable with us. He makes things new. And if you look at this story, it is shot through with death. You've got a man who's coming to Jesus, knowing his daughter's about to die. And he says, come and lay your hands on her, that she might be made well. And live. You've got a, a woman with blood, with a discharge of blood for 12 years. And not only is blood a marker of death and a reminder of death that is coming to us all, it's something that makes a person unclean in the Jewish religious law. So you've got this reminder of death and, and uncleanliness. And then you've got the manifestation of death itself. In the little girl who's dead. See, all three of them need something that only Jesus can give. And in doing these things, he gives new life to each person. Because Jesus gives new life to his people. So today we're going to look at Jairus, the woman, and the daughter. And see how Jesus gave new life by reversing the effects of death. So let's jump in. First thing, Jesus and Jairus. So the first interaction we see here is between these two, the leader of the synagogue and Jesus. Jesus is coming back from the Decapolis, which is the Ten Cities. It's a Gentile region. And as soon as he lands on shore, the crowds flock to him. And he's like, man, blah, blah, blah. And then here comes this guy. Jesus has freed the man with the demons. He's calmed the sea and the wind. Now he's, he arrives back. And, and, and picture this with me, okay? Jesus is on the shore. And here comes this guy. He's likely a Pharisee, since they were the ones who ruled the synagogues there. They were, they were kind of the ruling class in Jewish uh, culture, okay? So this guy's a Pharisee, very respected man, very... You know, he's dressed very well, because that's what the Pharisees did. And he comes out to the sea. Now, a lot of times these Pharisees were, were what we would call today kind of blue-collar working class uh, folks. Yet, they were still, had a, had, a, had a devotion to the law and to ritual cleanliness. And so, they had a day job, plus they had this 
this job of, of teaching, of learning, and of, of telling others how they should live according to the law. And this man not only did that, he ruled the synagogue, meaning he was in charge of, of uh, administration, basically, getting people to come and teach, getting people to, to do the singing, making sure that, that it had everything that it needed for a worship service. Well-respected man. Even more well-respected than a regular Pharisee. And the crowd, when he starts coming, they would have seen him. And they would have, a hush would have fallen over the crowd. They would have made some room. And here comes, here comes Jairus to get out of his way. And he walks up to Jesus in his nice robes with his long tassels. And he falls at Jesus' feet. Now, a lot of times we read that and we, we think this is what it, what it means to fall at Jesus' feet. But in Jewish culture, it, it wasn't just a, on your knees at His feet. No, your face was at His feet. That is how you show humility. That is how you humble yourself to one that you are seeking to entreat to do something. So this man in his nice clothes, this well-respected man is on his face at Jesus' feet. He says, my little daughter. She's at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her. So that she may be well and live. Now think about this. This guy's a Pharisee. What do we know about the Pharisees? From earlier in the passage of Mark. Well we know from chapter 3 verse 6. That after Jesus has been healing and teaching. And, and saying some things. What happens? The Pharisees went out and immediately. Held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. And now a member of the Pharisees. A member of the group of people who were conspiring with the Herodians to destroy Jesus. Is on his face at Jesus' feet. Desperate. Asking him for something. Asking him to heal his daughter. He goes to him very publicly. And in a very improper way. Entreats him to come. Do you think he cared? Do you think he cared what people thought? No, he didn't care. He's desperate. My daughter's about to die. Only you can do something, Jesus. Do you think he was ridiculed and outcast for this by the rest of the Pharisees? I'm pretty sure he was. These are the guys who are saying, we're going to destroy Jesus. And now one of their own breaks ranks. Comes and says, hey, I don't want to destroy you. I need you to fix something that's being destroyed. Come with me. See, he came desperate 
with a desperate hope that Jesus could do what he sought, and that was faith. It wasn't coming to Jesus in the faith that Jesus is the Messiah. He didn't have all of these theological categories figured out. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the God-man. Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He didn't have all of that stuff. He didn't know that Jesus is the promised head crusher. He just knew Jesus could heal his daughter. And she needs healed. And that truth is what drove him to go there. And that was faith. Reaching out. Reaching out. He came seeking the one who could put his hands on his little girl and she would be made well and live. It's an imperfect faith put in the perfect one. You remember a few weeks ago, Ricky said that Jesus asked his disciples, where is your faith? See, they had some of those categories figured out. They'd been walking with Jesus. They'd been talking with Jesus. They had seen some of the the miracles that he had done. They had witnessed everything firsthand. They had heard the teachings. They had heard even different teachings. Well, the same, but like more deeper teachings in private. They knew much more than Jairus. And they were doubting. Jairus is like, he can heal her. I'm going to him. See, Jairus' life would never be the same after he came and fell at Jesus' feet. Because Jesus gives his people new life. A new life that can give a hopeless man hope. A new life that can believe the unbelievable. A new life that can come and ask the unimaginable. A new life that is willing to accept the consequences of those actions as well. What a grace the Lord had for Jairus. Ah, but he has an even greater grace for us. So where are you desperate? Where in your life can only Jesus, and and I'm talking the Jesus of the Bible, the one who, who stills wind and waves, the one who delivers demonized people from oppression, the one who can raise dead people, the real Jesus of the Bible, not the one that we make up in our mind where we take a little bit of the Bible and we take a little bit of, 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 of uh, tradition and we take a little bit of like philosophy and say, yeah, this is Jesus. No, the real Jesus, where do you need him to come and lay hands? So that you might be made well and have life. Where are you desperate? Where is it that only Jesus can act? Have you fallen at his feet and implored him to come? Then do that if you haven't. Come and fall at his feet and ask him to come. Wherever that spot is where you need him to lay hands so that you might be made well and live. Because Jesus gives life, new life to his people. And he wants to do that. He's he's there waiting to do that. He's at the shore of our desperation. Come and ask. Next, we see Jesus and the woman. So it says, and Jesus went with him. But it wasn't just Jesus who went with Jairus. The whole crowds followed Jesus. They're like, man, 
this little sick girl. She's about to die. Let's, let's go check out how, what Jesus does. We know he's going to do something. He's going with this guy. And the crowds thronged about him. And there was a woman there in the crowd who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Now, blood in Jewish culture, again, is something that makes you unclean. Now, what does that mean to be unclean? To be unclean in Jewish culture means you cannot go to the, the temple. You cannot worship. You cannot enter into the synagogue. You cannot really live a normal life because your uncleanness, if you touch someone else or something else, it becomes unclean. And then anyone who touches that, they become unclean. And after you've touched some blood, you're unclean until a certain period of time and a certain uh, ceremony is performed. That's the life that this woman has been living. But even more than that, when you're out in society, you have to, just like a leper, pronounce unclean, unclean, so that everyone gives you wide berth so that you don't accidentally bump into someone and make them unclean. See, that is the life that this woman has been living for 12 years, a life... Cut off from God, a life lived likely alone, forsaken by her family due to her perpetual state of being unclean. And if that weren't bad enough, she suffered more than that. The people who were supposed to help her, the physicians, had only managed to take her money and not heal her or give her any relief. In fact, it says... She was worse off. So now this lady is alone, forsaken by God and man, cut off from society. She is, she is done, desperate, hopeless. She says, this guy can help, help me. But notice how she comes. Notice how she comes. She's fearful. She doesn't want to be noticed. She's anonymous in the crowd. She's not doing what she's supposed to. She's not yelling unclean, unclean. No, she's kind of sneaking in, if you will. It says she came up behind him. She came up behind him. She didn't even want to meet him head on. If only I touch his garments, I'll be made well. This is superstition, right? This sounds very superstitious. All I got to do is touch his garments. I don't even need him, just his garments. And I'll be made well. And a lot of the, the healings for the, the flow of blood back then were very superstitious. Like, you know, drink goat's milk on a full moon while standing on one foot hopping. Like, stuff like that. We'd look at it and go, they thought that would work? Huh? Well, this is right in line with that. And it's not just superstitious. It's also selfish. She wanted health, not the healer. See, she wanted the life of the kingdom, but not the king. She wanted the gift, but not the giver. And she's going to come in there and get whatever she needs on her own terms. And it worked. It worked. She touched his garment and was instantly healed. And felt in her body that she was healed. And Jesus knew. He felt power go out from him and something a little more. 
And he stops and he's like, who touched my garments? How did he know? Well, well, the gospel says he felt power go out from him. But Isaiah 53 tells us something different, doesn't it? It says what? He takes up our infirmities. He bears our sorrows. He takes our sicknesses. And what does he do? He gives us health. He gives us life. By his stripes, we are what? Healed. See, in that moment, Jesus' burden got a little, little heavier. As he took this from her and gave her something in return. That's how he knows someone touched me. And he says, who touched my garments? How often does Jesus come to us with conviction using our own words? All I got to do is touch his garments. And Jesus is like, who touched my garments? She knew right away who he was looking for, who he was talking to. And that's why she was scared. She was scared. And the whole time this is going on, Jairus is sitting there growing more scared and more scared by the moment, right? And he's like, you, look at the crowd, Jesus. You're worried about someone touching you? My daughter's going to die. Why are we stopped? Every second is a second that puts her closer to death. And you're worried about someone in this crazy crowd touching you. What's wrong with you, Jesus? I thought you could help. And again, this lady's scared too. She doesn't want to approach Because if Jesus knew she touched him, Jesus is unclean now. And everyone who touched Jesus is unclean. But you know what? The great truth of it is, Jesus' cleanness overpowers our uncleanness. When, when you touch Jesus, you don't make him unclean. He makes you clean. And it was a, it was, it was a true touch in faith that saved her, that made her clean. Dried up the blood and healed her. You know, Augustine says, flesh presses, but faith touches. There, there was a lot of flesh pressing against Jesus that day. He wasn't concerned about those guys. He was concerned about the touch of faith. It caused something to happen. He took up her griefs and he gave her his peace. He took up her sickness and he gave her his health. He took up her uncleanness and he gave her his true purity. He gives her new life because Jesus gives new life to his people. Where do you need new life? Where do you need to come and, and grab hold of his garments? Because if you only grabbed hold of his garments... You'd be made well there. Where, where is it in your mind or in your heart? Maybe are you suffering with some bitterness? Struggling with some bitterness? Are you, are you in despair of ever being rid of your anxiety or depression or some other darkness of the soul? Are you afraid of maybe being around others and pandemic life just suits you well? Because if you're around others, you're afraid they may see that you're a fake and a phony. Come grab his garment. 
receive new life. Because He will and He can. And He will, maybe not in this life, but He will one day grant that healing through faith. Through faith, not, not faith in the garments, but faith in the one wearing the garments. It may be a, a selfish or an uninformed or a superstitious faith, an imperfect faith. But if it's in the one who's perfect, then it perfectly works. And it is by faith in him that Jesus gives his people new life. And it is by her faith in him that Jesus tells this woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And that brings us to Jesus and the dead girl. While they're all standing there, Jairus' fear becomes reality. They come from his house and they say, She's dead. Don't trouble the teacher any longer. Why bother the teacher any longer? And those same fiery eyes that have just surveyed the crowd, searching for who touched him, they now lock on Jairus. And he tells him, do not just believe. And he's just telling him, man, don't go there. Don't let fear convince you of what you know is true. You came to me because I could help. I can still help. Believe it. Not only sovereign over health and disease, Sovereign over life too, Jairus. Don't go there, man. Don't believe that. Believe this. The girl is dead. The hope that drove Jairus to come to Jesus is now gone. And Jesus is still saying, believe. I'm sure Jairus, as he's looking at Jesus, was like, what, what does he know that I don't? And Jesus takes James and John and Peter Jairus and his wife, and he doesn't allow anyone else to come. And he tells the mourners, you're no longer needed. Your services are not required here. She's asleep. She ain't dead. And they laugh at him. They laugh at him. Death is as sleep to the author of life. And he has come to give new life to this little girl. Death has to release its grip on this one because Jesus has come to claim what belongs to him. And this little girl is his. And he's about to give new life. And now the second time in this passage that Jesus touches something unclean. woman touched him and now he goes and he takes a little dead girl's hand and he says Talitha kumi little girl I say to you arise and she does she gets up she begins walking around why because she was 12 years old 12 years old (laughs) 
How long had the woman suffered? 12 years. See, 12 years of death and outcast and, and living as, a, as someone on the fringes of society versus the little girl, 12 years of enjoying the love of her father, of enjoying the fruits of a family, of enjoying culture that, that, that loves her. Respect her father, honors her father, and by extension, she enjoys that. So you've got one that's accepted and one that's not. And anywhere on that spectrum that you find yourself, Jesus is for you. He was for the old lady who was outcast. He was for the little girl who was accepted. Well-respected man in society. Guy, we know his name. Versus a nameless, anonymous woman who was outcast. Wherever you are on that spectrum, Jesus is for you. And all of us, at one point, were like this little girl dead. The Bible says dead in our sins and our trespasses. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us did what made us alive in Christ to Jesus Christ. Jesus comes and he takes dead people's hands. Says to her little girl, I say to you, arise. Arise from your death and walk in new life in me. Little boy, I say to you, arise. Come out of your sins. Come out of your death that sin has caused. And walk in the new life that I give you. Jesus is the one who can bring the dead to life. He is the Almighty. And when he takes our dead hands, the life in him flows to us and comes to us. And we are finally able to hear him say, little one, I say to you, arise. So do you need spiritual life? What's stopping you? Believe in Jesus. That is the command of Scripture. Put your faith in Him and His death on the, in, on the cross to pay for your sins and find life, real life. Not the life that we so often choose, right? There are many things that we choose instead of Jesus that we think are going to give us life. It might be drugs or, or pornography or sex or or. Any number of things. Instagram, you never know. These things that, th that we think, yeah, they're going to give us fulfillment. And what do they do? They just pile on a, a bigger burden of death on top of us. Bring on more condemnation to us. Oh, let's be like Jairus. And go to the giver of life. Be the giver of life.
Maybe you're like the woman. And you want the benefit of Jesus and his power, but you don't want Jesus himself. You want him to heal you, but on your terms. You want the gift and not the giver. Maybe, maybe today you're like the little girl in need of physical healing. Yes, pray for that healing. Pray for it. There are many who are sick and in need of that. But don't forget that any healing you receive in this life, it's temporary. It will fade. And you will one day die. true healing, the new life that Jesus gives. Oh, oh, that's, that's an eternal life. That's a life that's going to last for eons and, and centuries and millennia. That new life is something that can never be taken and it will never need a healing in that new life. You know, last night I was talking with some friends and we were talking about how before the flood, how it would have been crazy to know someone who was like 800 years old. Like, man, wouldn't that be crazy? I said, hey, one day I'm going to know a Tom who's a million years old. A million years old. Because the new life that Jesus gives lasts for eternal life. It wells up into eternal life and it can never be taken and it will never change in five million years after that after entering into that new life tom will still be just as vigorous as he was on day one that's the true healing that's the true life that that this new life we can experience now and jesus points to one day a, a forever new life The great thing is to get it, you don't need to know everything there is to know about Jesus. You don't need to have all of the theological categories lined up in your mind and full understanding about what the Trinity is and how it works. No. All you need to know is that Jesus says he can give you new life. And you believe that. And the rest of that the Spirit and the church and the Word will fill in the blanks. And you've got an eternity to fill in those blanks. So if you believe that He can give new life, come to Him. Because the great thing is, that's all we need to know. It's not about our faithfulness. It's not about our work. It's all about His faithfulness and His work. He took an uninformed man, a superstitious woman, and a dead girl, and he gave them life. Because Jesus gives his people new life. And if he can do that for them, he can do that for you. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you give new life. Thank you that you have given us this this passage of scripture to illustrate that new life and to to drive home what it is we need we need Jesus no matter where we find ourselves on those spectrums you came for everyone on that spectrum everyone who would put their faith in you you came for Lord 
What a grace, what a gift that we get to see the way you give new life and the way you change lives. Father, if there's someone here today that needs that new life, that has never experienced it, Lord, I pray that by the Spirit you give new life. And that they respond to that new life with faith. Faith in your Son who came to die in our place and has been raised and one day will come take us to be with him for all time. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you.